Welcome to the HR Think Tank, a podcast that uncovers the power a trusted workforce has on team performance, culture and morale. We gather insights from experts, business leaders and HR professionals to help you lead your team. Here's your host, Kai no, CEO and co-founder of Verify Now. Diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. What does this mean? Is it a nice to have or does it play a critical role in driving company culture and performance? What are the impacts for your company and how do you implement this strategy successfully? Our guest today is Kat Tao Nguyen, Managing Director of Global Ready, who provide coaching, training and consulting services in inclusive leadership and executive development to global companies. She's the first person from Vietnam to be certified by the Cultural Intelligence Center. Kat Tao has held roles in corporate law, private equity, and international education. But more than this, she's been a trailblazer. She was the first Asian Australian to be the Australian Youth Representative to the United Nations General Assembly, and in 2019 was recognized as a 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australian. Welcome to the show, Kat Tao. I'm so glad to be here with you, Kai. And look, we, we've got to catch up another time as well because uh, I know a lot has happened uh, in, in the last 12 months and I know you just recently uh, ran the, the, the latest Australia-Vietnam Leadership Dialogue. It was a, it was a hybrid model and obviously that's how um, we know each other apart from our families having known each other for almost 20 years. Um, you know, I, I've had the, the pleasure of working with Tao uh, for almost five years on the Australia-Vietnam Leadership Dialogue. It was a passion project. And it was, it was life-changing for a lot of us um, who was involved. But Tao, I've got you on the show today to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. What do people mean when they say these terms, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Kai, I'm really glad that you asked that foundation question because as I work with my clients, there is actually an assumed understanding of what all these terms mean. Now, I think when people start talking about diversity, they automatically start talking in themes. For example, gender, um, sexual orientation, uh, racial uh, diversity, etc. But that's actually not all encompassing of what diversity really means. Every human being has inherent and acquired diversity traits. So inherent is you don't have any control over it. Um, as a child, for example, and acquired is you actually do have a control over it. For example, choosing to study a, a new language that you didn't grow up with, for example. And then everyone has visible and also invisible diversity traits. Now, all of these things combine to help us actually get a unique life experience and therefore perspective on things that we may not be conscious about. So that's diversity. Inclusion is, I believe, where we're actually in a state where people can, A, bring their diversity traits forward. Um, It's recognized. So it's recognized first. Second, it is celebrated. And third, it's leveraged. You know, so only when you actually can value difference and value diversity in a very genuine way, then you can actually leverage it for group and team outcomes. And when you have a state of inclusion, um, one of the, I guess, uh, byproducts of that is that people have a sense of belonging and they believe that if they advance the interests of the organization, their interests are also advanced. So that's a sense of belonging. And an inclusion is when, you know, leaders demonstrate a genuine commitment 
to, to an inclusive um, culture. The third element is equity. And equity is very, very important. And it's to be differentiated between equality. So equality is treating everyone the same. So for example, just advertising a job, but actually not recognizing that people, um, in order to be successful and in order to be effective, people actually need different tools. And it's a recognition of perhaps structural issues that have been limiting um, different groups from being their full selves and achieving their full potential. So I'd like to summarize it, Kai. Um, people often talk about um, the dance, right? Diversity is showing up at the dance and people have said, you know, um, inclusion is being invited to dance. Well, my take on it is diversity is, yes, um, showing up to the dance, attending the dance. So say a woman on a board. Um, inclusion uh, or equity is actually participating in the dance. Can you actually participate the dance as your full self? So does that woman on a board have actual real influence? Okay. And then inclusion is where you design the dance. So you have actually been part of actually creating the dance so that people who are different, you know, or not part of the majority can participate as themselves. So that's where in the inclusion state, you have a sense of power sharing and real decision making. Yeah. And how, how interchangeable are these terms, you know, because some people talk about diversity and inclusion. Some people talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Some talk about, you know, diversity and belonging. I mean, when, when do you use these terms? Which terms are the ones that you should be using? Cause there's, there's, there's a number of these guide, guide us through the usage of the terms. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's almost like um, you know that uh, that dance analogy as well. I think that you you start off with um, I guess uh, ensuring that there is diversity in in your workplace, but you know diversity at what levels, right? So so people just say, oh yes, you know we we're very diverse, but the diversity of the different traits, for example, gender. Um, is actually limited to the lower ranks of the organization and not in leadership, right? So, so diversity, you know, understanding that you need to have, um, different traits, um, that are valued and what is limiting that from actually being, um, present in all parts of the organization, right? Especially in the leadership. And in order to actually ensure diversity, you need an inclusive state, right? So it's almost like um, you can't uh, sort of compartmentalize, okay? We'll do diversity first and then we'll do inclusion and then we'll do, you know, um, equity. It's actually all part. It's almost like a Venn diagram in a way, you know, and, and some are uh, byproducts of the others. But if you actually um, create an inclusive culture, then perhaps um, the diversity actually can flourish uh, more in your organization at all levels. Yeah. And, and, and for those listening, it's diversity is not just about what can be seen as well. It's also about the things that are, that are not seen that are not obvious, you know? So as part of that discussion, it's also about, um, you know, your intellectual capacity, um, how you were raised. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that people don't talk about. I think the shallow level of engagement is really this person looks different. So let's have them involved because from a, from a visual piece, it looks good for our photos, right? 
that's that's that that was the thinking. I mean, we're, we've gone way beyond that now, surely. Uh, not necessarily, Kai. <laughs> not all of us have gone way beyond that. Um, I, I think you know. Um, one of the the interesting questions, uh, Resma Menachem, who is a racial trauma therapist in the US, you know, if he said that, you know, if we go into a room and we we ask who here believes in diversity, right? Everyone's going to put up their hands. And then his second question is really interesting: diversity from what? Okay, so so we have to understand that there are norms. Okay, there are norms that have been set up um, and those have formulas, right? Good leadership looks like this, okay? Talent looks like this. Competency looks like this. And when I say looks, um, it's not necessarily visual. It's also behavioral. So good good leadership um, behaves like this. Good leadership has these attributes, right? And so what we have is we, we've set up um, formulas, a lot of it is unconscious, which is why unconscious bias is, is so crucial to this whole story because people don't actually wake up and say, today I am making sure that I will not promote this person because they are a woman, this person because they are Indigenous, or this person because they are of Chinese ethnicity. People aren't doing that. And yet 97% of all of our leaders in Australia, according to the Australian Human Rights Commission um, report, are Anglo-Celtic and European background, so they appear white. Now, that's certainly not um, the case for the Australian population. So what is really going on here, right? And so when we actually reduce diversity down to sort of visible um, representation, we actually start to only address the symptoms of the issue and not really the structure. Well, Talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, why should companies care about this um, and why should they invest in this, in this space? Um, good question, Kai. For me, um, you know, I, I have four lenses, you know, when I work with my clients in this space. So my four lenses is um, what's the macro um, landscape that your organization is um, operating in, what's the organization perspective, the team perspective, and you as an individual leader. So the first is the macro perspective. Let's look at, you know, what the challenges are in your industry or in your, your sector. And when we actually look at your key stakeholders, your own customers, you know, um, and you're looking at the strategic risks facing your, your sector and your organization, a lot of it comes down to VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous issues. And this is the landscape, and COVID is a classic example of, of this VUCA world that we're in. So the problems that face us now are complex problems. They are not simple problems. So what's worked for us in the past is not necessarily going to work for us in the future. And research shows that inclusion is, is, is actually very beneficial to, to addressing complex problems because complex problems is not about expertise anymore. 
So that's the realm of, you know, complicated problems or simple problems. Now, in the complex problem space, you know, because there are so many unknown factors, you, you actually need incredible diversity of approach. And so a junior staff can actually, because of their diversity traits, actually can have a different take on the problem than someone who's, you know, a veteran in that, in, in the industry. Because when expertise is no longer a guarantee of success. So there are countless examples um, in the real world of how inclusion has actually facilitated, um, you know, complex problem solving. Um, the second uh, perspective is the, is the organization. Now, we want innovation, right? Our competitors are not necessarily coming from traditional uh, spaces anymore. And, and again, you know, extensive research has shown if the executive leadership, okay, actually possesses different diversity traits, including say career changes or age or so, so forth, they are able to out innovate their competitors and 70% more likely to capture new markets. Markets where you don't even know that your products, you know, products that you don't even know exist yet or service lines that you don't know, even know exist yet. So um, that's the organization perspective. The team perspective, we know from, from research um, that belonging engenders greater productivity. Inclusion, you know, engenders more return on cash flow per employee in the traditional metrics of, of organization success. Um and then, the, and then finally, you know, you as an individual. And I think, you know, the story of leadership, if we're just obviously just only thinking about, you know, wealth accumulation and so forth, I don't think that's the modern leader anymore. I was speaking to um, one of my clients last week and what he said was that um, he can't compete on money anymore. I mean, he, if he increases the staff, uh, you know, by 10%, the competitor's going to up it by 20. And then it's just this sort of like max, there's no, there's a, and he has no ceiling. Like, I mean, his ceiling is very clear. And so the, he said, the only competitive adv advantage that I have is to have a phenomenal culture where people feel like they belong. And, and that's where people will turn down, um, you know, jobs that are massively higher pay in order to be at a place where they can fulfill their potential. Yeah. Because obviously the, the salary, the money, financial aspects is important, but it's not the whole thing. And you know, what we've heard from, from previous guests as well is you've got to compete for talent for more than just money. It's about the challenge. It's about the sense of belonging. It's the identity. It's how much are they going to grow? Is it the experience? It's the people that they're about. It's, encompassing all of those factors, not just money. And, and I think if you're an employer that's purely competing on that, it could be an industry uh, item, um, you know, so th there are some, there are some industries that that's the, the main talking point. But I think if you take a step back, people want fulfillment in their jobs. And I think the, the recent pandemic situation has put up that mirror for people to look inwards and, and ask that question for themselves. So what, what you've said, Tal, I'm just pulling out a few of the things that you said is um, diversity, inclusion, equity, it helps companies in a range of ways. Um, it's it's a, a more preparedness for innovation. So, you know, you, you've got people around who can help you get to that next level. But it also means potentially higher revenue growth, whether it's because it's, it's new markets or it's uh, growing existing markets. And then the last bit that you've talked about is the ability not only to retain 
quality talent because of a sense of belonging, but actually a, a better branding or employer branding to recruit new talent. Um, you know, so if, if you're competing on that level, I think these are some of the key differences that will help you. Uh, and so if you're looking at the longer term or at the macro level, as you said, you know, it, it can, it can radically benefit your company beyond just being a good actor in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would think that, you know, if you're on the board of a company right now and you're in the highest leadership, not having an inclusive um, culture is actually a strategic risk. So how do companies create a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion? What are, what are the key actions people need to take? Yeah, well, first of all, um, I think that um, you need to look at, at your organisation and gather data. Okay, so first of all, I think one of the most um, common challenges is does the leadership reflect the rest of the organization, right? And as the, as, um, you know, people progress throughout the organization, is, is there genuine, um, fairness, right? Is there a genuine equity? And so when you look up, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who are visibly diverse and also diverse in many other ways, both not visible and inherent and acquired diversity traits. You know, is that actually being reflected? So what's really going on here? So before people start to sort of design programs and, you know, put on targets or quotas, I think you need to actually, um, actually have a process of serious inquiry. And that inquiry phase is about uncovering what's really going on here. You know, what, what's, what's happening? Why is it that, you know, there is maybe a lack of leadership that represents everybody else? So run focus groups, right? Um, um, measure the data in different ways. Um, try to um, ask your staff, you know, is it, do people feel like they, that there's a sense of belonging? Define what that means. Um, is your culture, um, you know, very transactional? Is it able to foster inclusive environments? And, and what does that mean? Ask your people. So you, you talked about the impacts, you know, on, on, on four different levels. You talked about the macro, the organization, the team level, and the individual level. I just want to press on the individual level a bit more. What, what is the impact on an individual when, your company rolls out these initiatives and you are all for it. You know, you've been pushing for this. How does it impact your place in the organization? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting because um, different people are impacted differently depending on how they identify. Um, so if I'm going to talk about um, a, a staff member who's not in an executive leadership position and they identify as a minority in some aspect of their identity. So, for example, um, uh, ethnic um, uh, aspect of their identity, so their, ethnic, their ethnicity. Um, so if the organisation starts to have a target for leadership, right? That, you know, it's going to reflect at least the Australian population or their own um, junior level staff, then perhaps someone who identifies as a minority person in terms of their ethnicity, they might feel a sense of um, 
um, hopefulness, but they also might feel targeted because people who then identify as the majority might become very resentful, might become very defensive. And if there is a, if there is a project that has been done and not been done well in terms of a holistic approach. So whilst we then have, um, positive, uh, intentions, the implication for um, the minority where the target is, for example, developed for, they actually might feel more targeted because people then might say, you only got there because you're a diversity hire. You only got there because, you know, like of your ethnicity and not because of merit. And they might undermine, they might, you know, and so people might actually who are walking around with a state of vigilance already because they don't feel safe then they actually might even feel more unsafe. So so it's not necessarily only, okay, all roses when you embark on this journey, which is why it's very important to have a holistic approach and to support and to have mechanisms to have open conversations and hard conversations and to, and to communicate to people that we're on a journey, we're on a transition here. And what is happening is the way that we've done things before actually has to change. And why does it have to change? And so in this interim transition phase, as leaders lead in a transition where inclusion is not the new normal yet, this is the stage where people feel like they're losing a sense of place in the organisation. Um, there's more polarisation. They're, they're trying to seek what's my identity within this place. And so it's very important for leaders to understand that there's an ending happening and there's a letting go and there's almost a grieving that happens and there's anger, you know, there's denial, there's all those stages of grieving that that actually happens. Tao, let me ask you this. So uh, what if you're a leader of an organisation, you're leading this charge and you've got other leaders in your team who say, look, I don't believe in this. You know, I will pick on merit. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they come from. What do you, what do you say to, to your the leaders in your team who have this view, have this perception? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I come across this um, quite a lot. And um, what's happened in that case is that the whole leadership team hasn't been taken on an inclusive leadership journey. And so um, some elements have forced through um, some things without actually doing their best um, to, to get an, a, a, a foundational understanding of what these principles mean and why it is fundamentally important to the business. So when they haven't done that groundwork, then in the leadership team itself, they're split because there isn't the basic understanding of what is merit and how have we arrived at what is the legacy that we are inheriting and why do we need to disrupt that? Before I move on to, uh, you know, trends, where, where you think this is going, I want to ask you this, this question. Um, so it's, it's comments that I hear quite often when I'm speaking to HR and business leaders. Firstly, I do want to say, you know, I want to applaud those who are taking this initiative and looking to implement a diversity, equity, inclusion policy. I think, I think you've got to start somewhere. But what I often hear is people say, look, I've only got time or I've only got the headspace for one, one initiative. So, you know, for the next three years, we're only going to focus on gender. 
How can companies better manage the implementation of such initiatives so that it goes beyond good intentions or just solely focusing on one group? Yeah, I, I hear the same thing as well, um, Kai. And uh, I also hear people talk about diversity fatigue, you know, like I've only got uh, room or headspace or mental space for gender. Um, and that's because also that uh, the proximity to the issue, everyone's got a mother, a lot of people have daughters and sisters. And so without saying that, there aren't gender issues or sexual orientation issues or, you know, um, racial uh, diversity issues. Of course there are. But once we actually go down and understand what inclusive organisations mean, we actually can see that there are shared roots of the problems, okay? And the shared roots of the problem is that there are norms that have been set up, okay, norms that have been set up around bias, around implicit bias. And I referenced it before, leadership looks and behaves like this. They have these attributes, okay. And so we're not saying that we're going to exclude you because of this particular um, part of your identity, but Oh, um, but confidence is someone who speaks a lot in meetings. If you're quiet, doesn't mean that you're actually confident. If you're quiet, it doesn't mean that you're actually competent. If you don't self-promote yourself and tell everybody that you're great and go around and, and advertising that, it means you're not competent. So we've set up, we've set up equations about talent, about good leadership. And, you know, we've set up those archetypes. And so those archetypes inadvertently actually exclude a lot of people, people who work part-time, you know, people who are women, people who are certain um, ethnic minorities. And so when we do the deep work on the structural level, we start to uncover what are those norms that have been set up. And, and of course, we can then also tackle concurrently these different themes that do have um, specific issues but it doesn't mean it's an either or. If we actually work to create inclusive cultures and diagnose the right issues, we find that we actually have progression on lots of different themes at the same time. So Tao, where do you see the future of diversity, equity and inclusion going? Kai, I think that it um, is very quickly becoming a, a mandate within all organizations and certainly organizations that are leading employers. Um, it just makes business sense. Um, and the reasons for that is clear that I had shared. And I think, you know, more and more uh, people are employing chief inclusion officers or chief belonging officers and, and that this is not going to be just in the realm of HR. I don't think that organizations are just going to see that this is a HR people issue. I think it actually is a strategic priority and therefore a strategic risk if you don't actually address it as an organization. So what I'm actually seeing is organizations actually including this as a competency. So inclusive leadership is a, is a measured competency for all leaders and 
the most pioneering or best practice companies actually have inclusive behaviors as a competency, even from graduate level all the way to the top. What are the main traps when companies embark on this journey? And what are some of the lessons that you can share for people who want to take this journey? Okay, so for companies um, that are embarking on this journey, I generally see um, three main challenges or main traps, actually. And they're obviously related to the lessons. Um, The first trap is that they treat symptoms and they don't treat the structures. So they they see, okay, uh, people are putting uh, gender targets or racial minority targets or ethnic diversity targets, so I'm just going to whack on a target um, and that's it. And they're treating a symptom. So they don't actually spend time to have the requisite inquiries to harvest the information in order to diagnose what is really going on. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is that um, they therefore don't have a holistic approach, okay? So they might just have um, uh, formal programs in place, but they don't actually have uh, changes to KPIs, right? So they don't actually have any um, accountability mechanisms at all, right? So the holistic approach is um, multiple fronts, Um, from internal communications and external communications to, you know, um, what research you do, how do you gather your data. So holistic. The third thing is they underinvest. Um, And what they do is they rely just on employee networks and often the employee networks are volunteer. So the Pride Network, for example, you know, it's a collection of employees who identify um, as minorities in that respect and they're doing their full-time job and they have to do all this other stuff as well. And so the burden on them is then greater. So that is certainly not in or not equitable. And so they they don't invest and they don't actually put their money uh, where they're committing um, from a public uh, communications perspective. So three areas, I think, are the main traps. Okay. No, thanks. Thanks. I, mean, I think that was really insightful. And for companies that are listening or are already thinking about this and they want some help, who do they go to? Who do they ask for help? Well, look, there are a lot of experts, um, you know, working in this uh, field, Kai. And I think depending on um, the maturity of where the organisation is, and there are clear benchmarks um, to measure your organisation on this continuum. You know, um, there's a global diversity inclusion benchmark that has been um, developed by over 100 experts from around the world who are working in this space. And, you know, you have different levels of of companies, you know, from level one, um, which is very much compliance driven to level five, which is best practice. So you need to sort of do almost like a self-assessment and you can do this yourself. There are a lot of free tools and then you can go, okay, well, where do we where do we need to bridge the gap? You know, what's going on? But there are a lot of people um, who are consulting and working in this particular space. But I also feel like, you know, there's also a lot of free tools out there that you can 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 make a start on yourself. So you've run inclusive leadership programs across Asia, Pacific, Europe, and North America. What are your key messages you want to share with the business leaders out there? So my my key message is basically um, this one particular quote, which I really love um, by Javier 
Platteval, who was the CEO of Volkswagen Audi Retail. And he said, leadership today is about unlearning management and relearning being human. And fundamentally, the journey of inclusive leadership is about relearning being human. And if you create that culture where people can relearn being human, you actually have a sense of freedom yourself because you don't have to be burdened by all the hiding or covering of of different things. Um, And you can be authentic and vulnerable as a leader in the organization. Wow. Thanks, Tao. Very, very, very powerful words. Now, before we wrap up the podcast, uh, we'd like to ask you fast five questions. Is that okay? Sure. I love it. I'm ready. Let, let's, let's make it happen. Tao, what was your first job? Okay, so I'm going to talk about my first paid job because as a kid, I was working with my mom in a sweatshop illegally um, since I was like eight uh, as a Vietnamese, uh, you know, refugee. Um, but my first paid job was um, also underage. I was working for my uncle at his bakery, you know, selling uh, banh mi and, and Vietnamese pork rolls and donuts and so forth. So that was my first uh, paid job. Still also underage though. What's something interesting that's not on your CV? Something interesting that's not on my CV is I've gone on a caving expedition to the world's largest cave, and that is actually in Vietnam. Um, And it was one of the most phenomenal experiences of my life, um, going through this cave for several days. Um, And it it was just so majestic. Um, and uh, there's no words to describe um, that experience. And then there's inside the cave, there's this incredible structure um, and it's called the wedding cake. And there's this iconic photo that you sort of, you know, everyone all takes, you get up on there and then you, you pose and you're just surrounded by this massive vacuous space and on this sort of uh, rock structure, which is the wedding cake. So I decided to order an Australian flag so that I could unwrap it, unfurl it, and and take a photo. But actually, it was mistakenly sent, and it was the New Zealand flag. <laughs> oh, no way. Can you, can you actually share that photo? Because I think it'd be great to share it as part of our, our, our video cast. That would be so good. I love, yeah, sure. And it was the New Zealand flag. And, uh, and I, but I'd always like, wanted to be a New Zealand citizen, so there you go. <laughs> What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? You are enough. You have always been enough. And what runs through you is the courage, the resilience, the strength, the grace and compassion of all of your ancestors, including your parents. And no matter what will happen in the future, you just need to remember that your ancestors are always with you and you are never alone, and you've never been alone. What book is a must-read or what movie is a must-watch for you? I would say the book is, if you are Australian, uh, Talking to My Country by Stan Grant. Um, I think one of the biggest issues in Australia, I think not one of, I think the biggest issue facing Australia is is not being able to have a reconciliation with our First Nations peoples. I think that is the biggest issue facing Australia. So I would encourage um, 
people to read that. Um, the, the film that I would encourage people to watch is an incredible film called A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, um, which stars um, Tom Hanks, and it's about an amazing, incredible um, educator uh, in the US of children called Mr. Rogers. And um, he was ahead of his time. He was, you know, decades and decades ago, he was talking about mental health. He was talking about, um, you know, all these principles and how to engage with children so that they can talk about their feelings. Um, and it's, it's amazing. So watch that movie. Finally, what's a job for the future that doesn't exist today? I think a job for the future that may not exist um, on mass now is possibly a purpose officer and a chief purpose officer. I think that um, we hear about for purpose organizations. I think every single organization, profit or non profit, should actually be for purpose and to serve the greater um, greater humanity and also our planet. Um, and I was speaking to a client of mine, uh, a US company, and they do something amazing. Every single person that starts, they have to go through a purpose program. And the program is actually about uncovering what is your purpose. And at the end, what is your life purpose? And at the end of the program, does your life purpose align to the values of the company and does the job, the, to the job that you've been employed to do? And, and through that, through the job, are you actually living your purpose? And I think it's a remarkable way to re-engineer the thinking of organizations and also the people within it. And it actually is a macro view of what belonging is. Because belonging is if you fulfill your potential, you actually advance the organization. And it's an interdependent, beautiful relationship that is symbiotic. And I think if organizations actually are all purpose-driven in terms of how can we be of service to our planet and to humanity, then, you know, there's a dynamic force that goes within it and that people within it are individual units within an ecosystem and they also are fulfilled and living their purpose too. So a chief purpose officer. Jeez. No, that's, that's, that's an awesome one. First time we've, we've uh, heard that. We've heard a lot of things around, you know, AI, technology, a few things going back in time, but, but that's a first for us. Tao, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing, you know, all of your experiences and insights into diversity, equity, inclusion. I know there's a lot more conversation that needs to be had, but we appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, Kai. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Our guest today was Kat Tao Nguyen, Managing Director of Global Ready LLC and Lumina Learning Partner. I've had the personal privilege of working together as co-founders of the Australia-Vietnam Leadership Dialogue. Kat Tao is also an author and she's written her memoirs in the book titled We Are Here, a compelling story of her family's treacherous journey leaving Vietnam by foot across the Cambodian killing fields and their new life in 1980s Australia. You can connect with Tao on LinkedIn or visit the Global Ready website for more information. Thanks for listening to the HR Think Tank with Kai No. We'd love it if you could subscribe and share our podcast with your network. As always, the resources and links mentioned will be included in the show notes and posted on the Verify Now website. 
verifynow.com.au.